Good morning, everybody. Isn't it good to be at church? God is good. And all the time. Always count on you. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's just jump right into some Bible this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you all to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Lord, we thank you for your word. May we hear it well today. Amen. So uh, I'm taking a, uh, a Greek class, and I'm only telling you that so you'll all be super impressed. No, um, actually you shouldn't be because probably the, the only thing I've learned at this point is how much I, I don't know Greek. It's, uh, and so now I'm just bad at two languages, um, which is fine. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I, I'm telling you that because I, I want to I show you uh, one of my favorite Greek words that I've learned. It, it looks like that. Uh, it's nice, right? It's, uh, and and uh, it's, it's, it's my favorite because I find it like in my, you know, sense of humor, I, I find it mildly funny because it's pronounced alelon, alelon, uh, which sounds a lot like all alone to me. Um, and, and so the, the, again, mildly funny part comes when it actually means one another. So it means the opposite of that. And, and I actually... Uh, when I was trying to pra practice how to pronounce this, however long ago it was, I kept saying it over and over at my house. My family looked at me like I was losing my mind, but uh, all alone, it's fun to say. Um, anyway, uh, so the, the reason it's one of my favorite is just because that, that idea, right, of, of one another, one another. Th this idea of one another, it's, uh, it's one of the big ideas throughout the Bible. It's one of the, the big ideas of our Christian faith. Uh, it's one of the really big pieces of our salvation that is sometimes uh, overlooked. Uh, because, you know, when we talk about our salvation, uh, we tend to, to think and to talk in, in very um, personal and individual terms, right? We, uh, we talk about my relationship with God. Uh, we talk about your relationship with God. We talk about... Uh, how one day I get to spend eternity with my Jesus, right? And we talk in terms uh, like that, which nothing wrong with that. Uh, our, our faith and our relationship with God is uh, very personal. Uh, but as I, I kind of think through this, uh, I think maybe perhaps uh, a, a better way to talk about those things would be maybe to talk about how God has saved us. And to talk about how we together get to spend eternity with Christ. Uh, or Ephesians chapter 2. Look at that. It's just, I'm like a magician here. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, how Paul talks about it. This is what he says. He says, we're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens 
with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, and in him we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Maybe, maybe that's a a better way to talk about it. Maybe that's a better way to think about it because, uh, you know, the point is this, we're, we're not meant to be all alone. We're meant to be all alone, right? We're, we're meant to be one another, one body with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. We're meant to be one another. And I, I know that's not a, an easy task because while we are uh, created for community, we're created to be, uh, you know, a united humanity that ha- is reflecting the image of God out into the world we know it's difficult because there's a, there's a bug in this system, right? Uh, and we talk about this in, in the church in, you know, lots of different ways. Today I'm going to use the, uh, the words, you know, fear and selfishness. Uh, because, you know, we get afraid, right? We're, we're afraid that, you know, maybe I'm not enough. Uh, we get afraid that maybe I don't have enough. Uh, We get afraid that maybe we're going to miss out on something or that something will be withheld from us. And and that sort of thinking and those sorts of feelings then lead to self-preservation and selfishness and greed and accumulation and looking out for number one and and all of those sorts of things. Uh, This this idea, anybody read C.S. Lewis? I've read just a little bit of them, just enough so I can... um, you know, be a pastor. No, uh, I, I, I've, read, I've read a little bit of C.S. Lewis. One of the, the books I've read is called The Great Divorce. Uh, probably not a great book to bring up in the middle of a marriage series, but that's what it's called. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with marriage. Uh, but it is, uh, C.S. Lewis is um, like allegory or kind of imagination of what maybe eternity could look like. It's this, a fictional story. It's not... You know, it's not scriptural or anything like that, but in this story, he imagines hell as a, a gray town, a very drab town, a, a town where it's always twilight and nighttime never comes, daytime never comes, it's just always the evening. It's always raining. And, and the, the interesting thing, at least to me, in this is is in this imagination everybody who lives in this town can have whatever they want if you want a bigger house you just have to imagine it and you have a bigger house if you decide you don't like your neighbors you move to the next street over and you imagine a even a bigger and a better house and and as this unfolds throughout time what what ends up happening is this town grows to be millions upon millions of square miles of all these big, elaborate houses, many of them empty because people just kept moving farther away. Uh, part of the, the story is it talks about a couple guys who learned that Napoleon lived in this town. And so they're like, I want to meet Napoleon. And so they travel to his house, and it takes them because, you know, it's such a vast place. It takes them like 15,000 years to get there. And, and they get there, uh, and, and they look through the window, and, and they see Napoleon, and he's just pacing back and forth through his house, kind of like I do on the stage, you know, just pacing back and forth. And, and he's complaining, and, and he's blaming everybody and everything for all of his problems, and he's just doing that day in and day out, never getting any rest, wanting to be left all alone. 
We're created for one another. Uh, part of our brokenness, though, is very often instead of opening ourselves up to each other, we, we tend to fold in on ourselves. Uh, anybody been on a helicopter before? A uh, long, long time ago, uh, when I lived in Prescott Valley, Arizona, they had this, uh, this thing, and anyway, I, I had the opportunity to go up in a helicopter, and it was going to fly around this little town that I grew up in, and, and so... Anyway, I go on the helicopter. Around the same time, I also had purchased a video camera. That's back when you needed a thing, you know, such a thing. Now we just have our phones, but small little compact video camera, kind of fancy for that time. It, it had a screen on it, about this big, about seven inches, where you could, full color even, super fancy, and you could see everything that you're recording, okay? So I thought this would be a great occasion to you know, record. And so go up on the helicopter. I got my camera in hand and I'm intently, you know, laser focused tunnel vision on this screen recording what I thought would be a great experience just looking. And, and after a while, I begin to think, well, this is not nearly as cool as I thought it was going to be. And so I put my camera away, and, and lo and behold, as soon as I stopped looking through this experience through that little seven-inch screen, it became a pretty big and pretty cool, uh, a memorable experience. Now, I know we want to probably take that and, and run off into like an anti-technology sort of thing, which if you want to do that, feel free. But that's not my point. My, my point is this. When... We look through our lives through the very small seven-inch screen of ourself, the more we miss out on. And, and when, we, when we stop looking through that small seven-inch screen of self, the more that we are then able to experience life as God had intended it for us. The more we try to preserve our life, the more we focus on ourselves, the emptier, the smaller, the more lifeless life becomes. And very often, the, the, the things that we're trying to gain by thinking about ourselves are the very first things we lose. And very often, the, the things that we're trying to prevent by thinking of ourselves are the things that we begin to encounter because we're created for one another, one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're created for community, but sometimes instead of building community, what we do, we build walls, right? We create hierarchies, we create rules of division and separation, we establish, you know, different parameters of belonging. And all those things, of course, work against community. Now, in Paul's day, the guy who wrote this letter that we're looking at, uh, he dealt with this like all the time. Like wherever he went, he's always dealing with this problem of people within the Christian community not getting along. Uh, so for him, it was the Jewish Christians and then the non-Jewish Christians, okay? Uh, see, in the, the very early, early days of, of Christianity, everybody that followed Jesus was Jewish and these people, they talked about Jesus a lot. They talked about, uh, you know, the resurrection, and they told everybody about Jesus. Uh, and then what started to happen is 
people who were different than them began to believe. Uh, the gospel was doing what the gospel was intended to do, is drawing people to Christ and is drawing people together. But then it started to draw people that they didn't expect. And so they had to figure this out. And so now these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians, they're, they're both serving God, they're both following Christ, but they each have their own ideas of what that looks like. They each have their own, you know, political views. They each have their own, you know, dietary needs. They, they each have their own, you know, everything, their problems, prejudices, biases. They have all these things and they're bringing them with them and it's creating tension. It's creating the, this wall of hostility between them. Paul deals with this all over the New Testament, wherever he goes. And so he tells them, hey, just if you want to solve this, just split up and have two different services. No, he doesn't have to tell them that. Um, this is what he says. He says, you want to fix this? Let me tell you more about Jesus. And this is what he writes to them in, uh, in Ephesians is chapter 2, verse 14. He says, for Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. See, one of the, the great purposes of Christ coming into the world was to create a new humanity. It wasn't only my personal salvation so I could get right with God and then be left alone to go live out my faith as, as I see fit. It, it just, it, it doesn't work that way. Jesus has created new humanity where we together learn to set aside differences, where we together learn and grow uh, and be Come more and more like Christ and learn more and more how to love one another and more and more how to love Christ. And you know, that's why we hear in, in Scripture very often he says, there's no longer Jew and Greek, but we're one in Christ. There's no longer slave and free, but we're one in Christ. There's no longer male and female, but we're one in Christ. There's no longer whatever arbitrary lines of division that we create because... We're one in Christ. We are one another, right? We are community. We are a, a new humanity. And I know this is not an easy thing, but it's who we are. And so we as spirit-filled people, we as followers of Christ, we work towards this by no longer approaching life through the very small lens of me. Uh, I used to work at Netflix. I think I've probably mentioned that before. If I have, I've told you that it's the worst job ever. Uh, customer service. If you've been in customer service, you know, like we're Christians, we love people, but we don't like customers very much uh, because it's just terrible. Anyway, one of the things that they, they train you on is like, like when the customer calls, what they really want to know, they want the answer to the question, what's in it for me? And they don't, it's, it's not true. They, they don't really want to know what the correct, most helpful and accurate information is. They, they don't want that. What they want, what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and if 
they don't like the answers to the question, then they'll just look somewhere else, which if we're talking about commodities and consumer goods, that's probably fine. But if we're talking about community, that might not be the answer. So anyway, I had this lady call one time. Still remember. Uh, maybe I pulled this story because it's just one of my favorites. Uh, but uh, she's upset because she hasn't got her DVDs yet. That's back in the time when that was still the more popular part of their service, you know. Uh, and, and I said, oh, well, I'm sorry about that. You know, you, you fake the empathy that they, it's all fake. All right, so anyway, so I, and I explained, I said, you, you know, you, the problem is you live in the Midwest. And around you, there have been multiple, very large, catastrophic tornadoes that have destroyed all kinds of things. And it's causing the, the mail to run a little bit slower. I'm sorry, that's just... Well, I don't care about that. I've heard about those tornadoes on the news. That's, you know, I, I see, yeah, one hit the next time over, but I don't care about that because it's your job to get me my movie when I want it. When we look through life through the very, very small lens of self, it leads to a pretty small life. So, anyway, we as people, we, we belong to God and we are called to live a life worthy of the calling. To live a life worthy of what Christ has set out to accomplish. And, and that is a life where the primary motivator is not what's in it for me. It's a life that is suitable for this new humanity that Christ has made. And that's a life that is humble, Paul says, where we look out for others and we consider others more than ourselves. That's a life that is gentle, where we're not abrasive and short and abrupt with people, but we're gentle. And I, we've been in the situations where, you know, we're hungry, we're tired, we've got a lot going on, and somebody says something and we snap at them, and then all of a sudden the situation escalates to somewhere else. And, but we are God's people, and we live a life worthy of the calling, so we are humble and we are gentle. And the next thing it says is we are patient. And we're patient because we know that it takes some people longer to get there. Whether that be, you know, literally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, meta metaphorically. We know it takes some people longer to get there. And sometimes it takes us longer to get there. And so we're patient. We're gentle. We're humble. And then it says, this is uh, this one I like. It says, then... Uh, we are bearing with one another in love. Which sounds like super scriptural and like poetic and pretty, right? Like it sounds like it should be written in cursive. It's like bearing with one another in love. Like, right? It's just, but you know what it's really saying? It's saying this. It's saying you need to learn how to put up with each other. That's what it's saying. <laughs> we try to make things in the Bible sound pretty. Uh, but that's what it's saying. It says Put up with each other because you love each other. It's like, you know, mom and dad telling, telling the, the kids, hey, hug your brother, tell him you love him, now go get along. That's, that's what he's saying. Bearing with one another in love. We are intended to be one another. And Christ did the hard work, right? Came into the world, 
took on flesh, set aside his rights, lived with us, taught us, showed us exactly what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, taught us exactly what it means to be citizens of heaven and what it means to belong to this new humanity. And, and so we thank him by nailing him to a cross where he suffered and died, was buried, and on the third day rose again and was, appeared to many, many witnesses. And then he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over us, his people. And in doing all of that, Christ defeats death and sin and hell and the grave. And in doing that, he, he uh, abolishes and destroys the, those arbitrary lines of separation that we hold on to, making us one humanity, one people united in him through his blood, through his spirit, and then he says to us, make every effort to protect that. Make every effort to live like that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's who we are. God's people, united in him. And, and we can't, we're not making every effort if we approach life looking through the very small lens of self. Uh, we, we can't do that if we're always stuck on the question and our, our primary motivation is, well, what's in it for me? But if we do make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, in our churches and in our small groups and in our families and in our marriages. See, I tied it into marriage. Accomplished. No. Uh, I think maybe then we will begin to find that there, there's peace where there used to be dissatisfaction. We will, we will begin to find that there is community and togetherness where there used to be division and hostility, where there's growth and maturity, where there used to be stagnation. And this is what our hearts long for. Because this is what we're created to be. One people, united in him. So as we close today, my, my prayer for us all is that with renewed hearts and renewed spirits, that we do not live a life all alone, but all alone. One another that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received, that we live with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with each other in love, and making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, because there is one body and one Spirit, and just as you are called in the one hope of your calling, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for this great work that you have accomplished. Lord, that you have established your kingdom here on earth, that you are drawing all people to you. 
And so, Lord, today I pray that you would fill our hearts with humility and gentleness and patience so that we could bear with each other in love, knowing that we are one people under one God, sharing one faith. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing. Say, great. Uh- 
Revolución.